Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio. Richmond, Indiana, and Alfreda, Georgia. Brady, we're sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you'd like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Today's topic is, should I become a caregiver? And this may seem like a strange topic for a business podcast, but uh, you know I think this is one of these topics that where where personal life and corporate life necessarily m- merge into one another, or maybe collide. Maybe it might be the better term into one another. Um, according to estimates from the National Alliance for Caregiving. During the past year, 67.7 million Americans, or 20, 29% of the U.S. adult population, served as family caregivers for an ill or disabled relative. So that means that there's a three, there's a three, out, of 10, there's a three out of 10 chance in a given year that we are going to find ourselves in a caregiving, at a minimum, a caregiving opportunity, if not ultimately a caregiving position. And uh, while some of us may be in a position to simply retire um, or leave the, the, the workforce, um, not all of us will be. And even if you are in that position, you are going to be forced to make a difficult decision. The fact of the matter is, I think for most people, I don't know if it's a fact, but I certainly think it's hard to argue. For most people, the, the sudden responsibility um, that you assume to become a caregiver for another human being is is potentially all-consuming, all-absorbing. And by necessity, just as we do when we are parents, we are going to have to balance the priorities of caring for, if you're a parent, your children, um, or as a caregiver for the people under your charge, <clears throat> and your professional responsibilities. And the reality is that on some occasions, somebody's going to lose. Somebody's just not going to get your best because you're choosing to give your best elsewhere based on whatever your priorities are at, uh, at, at, at that particular time. So this is for, for many of us, this is going to become a, you know, real thing. And, you know, I have a personal story to share, not, not on the, not nearly on the, on the level of that of our guest. But about four years ago, I was visiting my parents in, uh, in, in Boston. And the day before I was going to leave, I thought I was going to go take in a Red Sox game. At the very last second, I said, ah, you know what? It's just the Tampa Bay Rays, any, the Tampa Rays anyway. I'm not going to bother. I'll watch the game at home. And so I sat down to watch the game at home. My dad was going to join me. And he, um, he 
long story short, he basically had a stroke right in front of me. Um, and I'd never seen somebody have, frankly, I didn't know he had a stroke. I just knew something was not right. And, uh, my parents live in a fairly large house. My mother was on an entirely different floor and, um, uh, you know, long story short, because I was there, you know, an ambulance was at our house within 10 minutes and that at a minimum saved his life and also probably saved him from massive brain damage as well. And I believe me, I'm not the hero of the story. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time to hit the panic button. That's all I did. But it did sort of draw into very sharp focus that had things gone differently, that you know, I could have been put in a position of being a caregiver. You know, my mother's not in a, she's still independent, but she's not in a position to, I don't know that she'd be in a position to do that entirely on her own. But the point is that there, there before the grace of God, I still have my father, thankfully. And there before the grace of God, I may have been in a caregiver position for uh, a long time. And I live in Atlanta doing that from Boston. I mean, it could have, could have been a lot of upheaval. So it, it did sort of ram home that that day may be coming for me at some point. It may be coming for all of us. And as I said, there are business implications to that. So that's why I wanted, that's why I'm, I'm doing this topic on a, on a business program because the decision to care for a family member or not is perhaps one of the most consequential decisions you may ever make in your professional life because it will have such uh, far ranging impacts. So joining us today is uh, Raina Nysis, who is literally one of the nicest people I've ever met, and that's how I remember how to pronounce the name, uh, but she's founder of a coaching company called um, A Season of Caring, and uh, uh, she is an, an ICF International Coaching Federation Associate Certified Coach with certifications in both life and leadership coaching from the Professional Christian Coaching Institute. She specializes in supporting those who are in a season of caring for an aging parent. A Season of Caring offers private coaching, monthly online support groups, and a variety of workshops to the membership option coming soon. Raina has also published a book with Morgan James Publishing, sharing heartwarming stories and practical takeaways from her experience of caring for her father in the last years of his journeys with Al- journey with Alzheimer's disease. No regrets. Hope for your caregiving season is a, is a must read, uh, especially if you find yourself as a, uh, as a potential or actual Alzheimer's caregiver. Raina is the host of A Season of Caring, a weekly podcast where she interviews family caregivers and caring professionals to offer hope for living, loving, and caring with no regrets to her listeners. Raina lives on a farm in southeast Kansas with her husband, Ron, and a small pack of dogs. She is a baby of her family, but most would never guess that. She is a former teacher and enjoys crafts of all kinds and spending time with her grandkids most of all. I think you're our first guest from Kansas, so thank you for representing the great state of Kansas. Raina, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Raina, um, I've not had a chance to read your book, um, and uh, I don't want you to give out spoilers necessary, but um, I-, I would like you to, I'd like to invite you to share with our listeners your caregiving journey and how that prompted you, how that prompted you then to be a- an advocate for caregivers and someone who teaches other caregivers how to be the best caregivers they can be. Well, I have the story actually, you know, nobody wants to have. Um, I've actually lost both of my parents to Alzheimer's disease. I was 16 years old when my mom was diagnosed. Um, She was just 53. And she was able to live at home for the 12-year journey um, through the disease with my dad, who took the option of early retirement to take care of her in the home. And so um, just seven years after her passing, my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. 
he lived 14 years with the disease and um, passed away in his home just in June of 18. So we've had caregiving a part of our lives, um, my sister and I, most of our lives. um, But definitely for me, when dad was diagnosed, we sat down and had a conversation where he asked to stay at home as long as possible. And so that was something that we kind of had to define and figure out. And about um, nine years into his diagnosis, he had uh, cancer, uh, skin cancer, had surgery, and um, the recovery was just really difficult. He had MRSA and some other complications and his ability to care for his own daily needs just declined quickly. He was living with his sister at the time and she just couldn't handle it all. So we we reached a point as a family that we had to make that decision. What are we going to do? And so looking at memory care units and just trying to decide what was going to work best. Thankfully, my husband just said, you know, if you don't see your dad doing well there, then if you need to move here, which was 220 miles away from our farm uh, to care for him, then you need to do that. And so I was able to then stop and say, okay, what does this look like? And make plans to do that and recruit help. And so with my sister, his sister and paid caregivers, we were able to keep my dad at home for the last four and a half years of his life. And through that journey, just like you said, so many times it's, you know, how do I do this and be a good employee? How do I do this? Be a good boss. There's so many pieces because it impacts everything of your life. And really being able to navigate that without losing your life and losing things that are important to you, your marriage, your job, your career, all of those things, you have to do it intentionally. And so after my season of caring for my dad, I just really decided to pivot my business and start to focus in on others that are finding themselves in that place. And um, that's how I came up with the book as well is just really what what's the most important things I need to tell people who are walking this journey or just starting out this journey. So I'm going to go off script a little bit here because I, th- I think I have a better question than the one I originally thought of. And that is, how can you describe, how do you describe to somebody who isn't already a caregiver what that experience is like? Is it, is it even possible without a common frame of reference or do you have to be in that position to really have any, any hope of understanding what that means? You know, I think it's a really tough line to walk because first of all, you hate to paint this horrible picture of what it's going to look like, but but reality is it's not easy. There's really nothing easy about it. And so I think it is difficult for people to understand. Number one, I think, majority of people just don't even want to think about it. They don't want to think about their parents getting older. If their parents get older, they're getting older, you know, and it's just a lot there. It impacts every area of your life. And so unless you're in the middle of it, it is difficult. But I I guess my goal is to help people start thinking about it now, because the more conversations you have with your family, your, your parents, whoever it is that needs you to care for them, the more you talk about what they really want, what's important to them, the more you understand and the more you can make steps in that direction. So can you describe whether it's from your clients, your own perspective, or however else you, you choose to, to approach it, what, is, what, is it, what are the physical and mental tolls that becoming a caregiver takes on that, on that person? You know, again, every situation is different, you know, that, and really, I think 
just watching someone age is difficult. I mean, this is the person, your parents are the people who have known you your whole life, right? And they've always been there for you. And they've done things for you. They provided for you. They've been support, but they've also been that one that kind of shows you how to do it. Who taught you to walk? Who taught you to talk? You know, all of those things came from them. So emotionally, there are so many emotions that are involved in caregiving. There's that grief that I call it's anticipatory grief is what they call it. And it's anticipating things that are no longer going to be the same that you experience all the time. They're little things like mom can't make the same pumpkin pie that you've always had for Thanksgiving because she doesn't remember, or it's not safe for her to cook anymore, or she's gone. Um, You know, my dad and I were in business together and we found that those business meetings that he had always been, he was an accountant. So those meetings where he was able to bring his expertise of people management and money management to our business together, which I was doing the hands-on running, you know, he just got to a point where it was too confusing. There was too much for him to be able to really take the information in and problem solve with me. That was a loss. I mean, there's, you're losing the normal relationship that you've had, no matter what what the situation is. And physically, there's just a lot of stress involved, whether it be physical stress of needing to physically, you know, there were times that my dad's blood pressure would drop and he would collapse and physically getting him off of the floor into a safe place. Um, Lack of sleep as a caregiver. Oftentimes when you're caring for someone, you're on the alert, just like you are when you have a young infant, you're listening for every little thing to be able to come in. So lack of sleep, um, you know, eating habits, just all of those things can really fall to the wayside unless we're intentional. And that's where, you know, I feel that I can provide the most support for caregivers is asking them to check in, asking them to be able to really see where they are and if they're taking care of themselves or not. So, you know, as, as, uh, as somebody comes to you and, and looks for coaching and, and maybe they're, they're in mid caregiver mode, or maybe they realize they're about to embark upon that, upon that responsibility. What, what's sort of the beginner's crash course when you have that first conversation how do you prepare them for the awesome responsibility that they're considering or maybe they're about to take on, whether they're considering it or not, maybe they just have to, right? How do you prepare them for that? So the main thing is to start with an inventory of where is your life right now? You know, when I stepped into this caregiving role of driving 220 miles one way to my dad's home, I was teaching four and a half days a week. I had a high schooler at home. I had volunteer responsibilities at my church and I had kids getting married. There were all kinds of things happening in our lives and I were really full plates. So adding this additional responsibility on top of what I already had really didn't make sense. And so for a period of time, I needed to write out those responsibilities, but eventually I had to move some of those things off of my plate to really make room for caregiving. And at the same time, have some white space, because if we don't have margin in our life, we're not going to make it. So really having that conversation of what's most important to you right now and what can you let go of and how are you going to make a room in your life for this important role? Now, I suspect, but I don't know, but I suspect that also another part of another part of this equation is that, you know, as a caregiver or as a caregiver to a new individual, if you will, 
I may also already have some sort of caregiving responsibilities, right? You mentioned you were a mom of a high schooler, right? And, Mm -hmm. and, and we know right now, you know, for, for good or ill, um, mom still, they really carry the mail at the household, right? Um, and, um, what, what sort of toll does it take on the family that maybe, you know, that all of a sudden has to share and is not going to get the, for lack of a better term, the level of service they're used to, Mm -hmm. right. From, from somebody who now has an entirely new caregiving responsibility and that caregiving responsibility may be more labor intensive than the one they've already got. Important key. You have to get everybody on board and you have to make them understand what we're looking at. And I would say the most important thing beyond, you know, the first step is to evaluate where you are, what you have room for. But the other thing is you, it doesn't mean that you have to do it all. You have got to build your team. You have to find the people to support you. So yes, I went, but I went three days a week and I brought people in to take care of the other three days. So I could be with my family the the other three days. So I brought in help at home. I took, I brought in someone to help clean my house. I brought in someone to clean my dad's house. You know, just because it needs to be done doesn't mean you have to put your superhero cape on and do it. In fact, you need to take that superhero cape off and find people to help you. Everybody needs their sidekicks. And the more that you build into your team, the better you're going to be, the healthier you're going to be, and the longer you're going to be able to sustain it. I think that's a really important point. Um, And I, I want to kind of pause on that for a second because, again, going back to the parenting model, because that's the only one that I know in this kind of context, right? We've heard that it takes a village to raise a child, right? And, and there's at least a notion, whether or not it's implemented all the time, again, not, not this podcast, but there's at least a notion that, that good child raising is a community responsibility, right? If we can, we look out for each other's, child's, each other's children. We, we try to impart a certain culture, a certain ethos, certain value system, sense of community, et cetera. Um, and, and your notion that it takes a team to be a caregiver uh, I, th- I think is, I think is so important. Where does that team typically come from? Who, who are the, who are the team members? It's a great question. I think part of what the struggle is that people assume it's going to be family. We're going to all just come together and we're all going to get along and we're all going to do the same thing and we're all going to contribute the same amount. And that is not true. It, it doesn't happen. My family was probably was very unusual in that I have one sister and she and I both, we really worked together. We made a lot of sacrifices together. We did not find a lot of conflict. In fact, I say in my book, again, I say, you know, I, we found a new relationship, a stronger relationship when we came together to care for my dad. But typically people find that they have these expectations that no one lives up to. And so there's a lot of frustration, a lot of feeling dumped on often. And that's because they're not looking beyond the family. Not everyone, point blank, not everyone has the same natural capacity to be a caregiver as others. And so if you find yourself being that person, great, but don't expect everyone to be you. So you have to look outside. So I mentioned someone to clean my house, uh, yard people, I think, are part of the team. Medical people are definitely part of the team. Paid caregivers are part of that team. I believe your employer needs to be a part of that team because they need to understand what it looks like and what your responsibilities are. Um, the person you're caring for needs to be a part of that team because they need to be cooperative and they need to be helpful in that situation, as well as legal 
and financial professionals. I think we have to build this full capacity team to really help us to meet all of the needs. And, and, you know, that, that you, you bring up an interesting point that it doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be family members. In fact, a lot of those team members probably won't, right? right. I am qualified to mow a lawn. Uh, I'm even qualified to cook to a, to a limited extent, as long as you don't mind, as long as your standard is that it won't kill you, but it won't taste all that great. Um, but it, but you know, I'm not qualified to provide legal advice. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'd ever want to manage my parents' money because I have a sister and, and there are all kinds of just bad things that can happen mm-hmm. just optically, right? When one family member sort of manages money and, and, you know, that can get very ugly as I'm sure you've seen or heard about, right? So it's, it's interesting that, you know, a lot of that team may very well come with outside the fam- come from outside the family. And, 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 you know, I, I wonder, um, you know, I wonder if, if in fact there's another touch point here with business that probably some of your skills that may have led one to be successful in business, like management, uh, time management, motivation, coaching, prioritizing resources, et cetera. You know, maybe there are skills from the business world that actually help make this more effective. What do you think about that? Definitely. A hundred percent. I think the more that you realize that this is a team and that you're managing a team, the stronger you're going to be. You have to hire, you have to fire, you have to make sure that all of those needs are met. People are working within their strengths and that they are pulling their weight. If they aren't, then you need to make an adjustment to that team. And I think that brought a lot of strength to our team is my background in business in the comfort level of interviewing, whether it be companies that we were hiring to provide help or individuals. And then also, I think that perspective, business perspective, we aren't successful individually. We have to have the support that we need. And even if we're solopreneur, we need support. And you're smart enough to know that what's not your strength is not where you need to be. And so hire it just like you do in the office. Um, so, so one question I'm, I'm curious about is, you know, of course, becoming a caregiver is a life changing um, uh, experience, life altering experience, not life changing, though it could be, I guess, from a spiritual perspective, but it's a lot, just life altering in terms of, of how you're going to live your life for some uh, possibly indefinite period of time. How long do you find it takes people to, uh, to, to adjust to that new reality so that, and, and I think that question is important so that people understand if maybe if they're not perfect right away, they should, they should cut themselves some slack because it seems to me, this is a, this is a life shift that would require some, some sort of breaking in period. Yeah, I think it definitely does. And it totally depends on, you know, the situation. Sometimes people have a slow, gradual step into needing to support their parents. They're starting to see things like needing help around the yard or cleaning the gutters, those types of things. Some people, it's a sudden, you know, a stroke or an accident um, that suddenly demands a lot of time. And so I think initially, like anything, we have to just uh, respond. If it's a crisis, we got to realize it's a crisis and we're going to respond in that. And it's going to take a lot of our time initially. And then as we find that we build that team that we need to have, we, we bring in others and we can find more of that balance that we need in life in general. 
um, to make it so that's a part of life. We have to integrate caregiving. We cannot allow it to become all of our lives, or we're going to, we're going to regret that. And so, you know, making sure that we're integrating it in and we're making our lives, what we want them to be both honoring those that we're caring for and ourselves and our other family members, I think is a really crucial piece of that. The other part that I think oftentimes people overlook is at the end of life, how important it is to understand this is going to be unlike any other time. It's going to last as long as it takes. um, But at the same time, it's going to take a lot out of our lives and a lot of our time, a lot of our energy. I know at the time when I lost my mom, it was a six week process um, of, of just finally saying goodbye. And, and at the same time I had a job and I had other things that I needed to do, but it's a matter of realizing that some seasons within this caregiving are going to be more demanding than others. The question, another question I want to make sure that I get to is, is this, is that, you know, I, I caregiving is of course, you know, it's one of the ultimate acts of service. And I wonder is the thought going on in my mind is I wonder if, if everybody is really cut out to be a caregiver. And, and, and what I'm really getting to is that are there people in certain circumstances that maybe shouldn't be a very active caregiver unless they absolutely have to, are there certain are there certain personality profiles? Are there certain physical limitations? You know, are, are there, are, frankly, are there people that just, that just have a hard enough time taking care of themselves and then adding, adding somebody else's well-being is just not a good match for that person? Is that a profile or, or do you think that anybody can adapt with sufficient motivation and time to becoming a caregiver? Yeah, I think it's actually a really wise thing to realize that there are different personalities and there are some that are going to do and respond better than others. You know, again, different types of illnesses require different types of personalities probably or physical strength. You know, if a person is bedridden, then obviously not everyone is physically able. Someone has a bad back. They're not able to do some of the things that need to be done for a person who, who's aging to make sure that they're safe, the person they're caring for is safe. They can, you know, successfully get them off of the floor or stop them from falling. Um, another piece of that, I think, is just uh, if you're looking at someone who has dementia, which the numbers are high, that, you know, over 30 of the people over the age of 65 have some form of dementia. So it is very trying to take care of them at times, the repeated questions, the lack of processing, their not ability to understand what's happening. You know, you really do have to be a certain type of personality to find the way to interact with them. That being said, I think that people think of caregiving as the hands-on piece only. And I think that that's where we miss the boat a lot of times. The physical needs of the person we're caring for are important. And definitely we want someone who's competent and compassionate doing that. But if you are a child, you have a role in your parent's life, no matter if you're the hands-on person or not. No one can replace you as their daughter or son. So what what are some, what are some tips that an individual you know who finds himself in that position and I'm you know and you've hinted at it but I'm I'm confident that it's a highly stressful emotionally demanding position to be in 
what are what are some tips that you give to people in terms of their own self-care so that they can they can frankly hold up um hold up under that stress it is definitely a stressful situation and i think realizing number one that's part of why i encourage people to to take on the caregiver role name because i think when we realize that we are a caregiver we do then embrace the fact that there's more stress in our lives than just being a daughter or son supporting an aging parent. Um, but you know, like anything dealing with stress, there's definitely things to do that you need to do. Um, get good sleep, drink plenty of water, get those exercise. But I, that's where the emotional side comes in. I find that most people need to really take time to process the emotions, to grieve the losses, the changes in life, the things that will never look the same again, because their parents not able to to be that same person that they were when they were younger um, and really take the time to reflect. So I say you need to be intentional with the commitments that you make and with the things that you choose to keep in your life during this season. And then at the same time, you need to be reflective. So each time, each once a week, whatever it is, schedule time to stop and check in with yourself. How am I doing? You know, what do I need to do differently? And a lot of times just the question, how am I doing? I might've had a really rough weekend with my dad. I might've had a time where I was not patient with him or as patient as I wanted to be, or I might've gotten frustrated with another caregiver and the fact that they didn't write down that something was used up in the house. And so we didn't have ketchup when we needed it for our hot dogs, whatever it was, you know, that frustration, that irritability, usually when I really took the time to step back and look at it. It was because there was something else going on. Either I wasn't getting enough rest or I was frustrated with myself and and didn't respond well. Um, You know, really reflecting and understanding those emotions and taking the time to work through the emotions, ride through the emotions and get the support that you need. I'm a huge advocate for support groups. I think that they can bring a lot of encouragement and normalcy to your life in that season. And so really finding the support that you need, whatever that looks like, if it's a coach or support group counselor, you know, making sure that you're caring for yourself in that way. So you mentioned the emotional toll and, and maybe it's, I'm putting words in your mouth, but I mean, it sounds like it can be something of a roller coaster. Um, Definitely. Um, I'd like to talk about one emotion in particular, and that is at, at the end of that season. Um, all caregiving stints are going to end one way or the other. Um, and you know, I, I have some thirdhand experience with this cause I've, I've been involved as a volunteer with, um, um, Lou Gehrig's disease advocacy groups. And of course that's a, that that's basically Alzheimer's of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, something that I've, I've heard of from caregivers in that scenario is is the most the most difficult or one of the most difficult emotions that those caregivers have to address or confront is their sense of relief and the guilt that they face around that relief that yes they're they're sad that their loved one uh has died and and you know they miss that person terribly but on the other hand um suddenly their obligation a massive obligation has uh, has ended and they can resume their lives or their lives have become significantly unburdened. And again, third hand, I've heard that that can lead that is, and itself can be a different kind of trauma, if you will. Have you heard of some, have you heard or experienced something similar? And if so, 
you know, how, how do people kind of deal with and work through that? I think that that's a normal piece of, of grief. And we don't really, um, in society today, I don't think we really acknowledge grief or understand grief. We think of it as these stages and steps. And really, that's not what it is. It's those steps, those stages that we hear about are pieces of the grief, but they, they can happen simultaneously. You can move forward. You can move backwards. You dance within the grief throughout the season. So I think you know, definitely it, it is um, unsettling when you have spent so much of your time and so much of your energy focused in on one person or one activity. And especially by the point in time when you lose that person, because like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's one of those things that that amount of time, that commitment is going to increase at the end of your loved one's life. It just is. And so, that's something that you have spent a great deal of time with them there at the end. And then suddenly, like you said, they're gone. And there is this, for me personally, it was, I called it an untethering. Um, the best description I had was my dad was my last parent. He was kind of my always come back to home place. And then he was gone. And that was very difficult. I, I did not expect grief to be as overwhelming for me as it was. I knew that I had grieved throughout my season. I knew that it was coming. I mean, we're taking care of someone with a terminal illness, but it is still surprising when you reach the end. And at the same time, I think it can be very unsettling. I called it grief brain. I found myself not being able to accomplish tasks that I had accomplished in the same period of time. Sometimes it took twice as long. It was exhausting. Um, I found myself tired when I didn't do anything. And so it was a long period of time that I was thankful I had counseled to just rest and to allow it to, to be what it was and to be in the grief and not to try to push through it or, or to try to ignore it. So I think it can be for everybody, it's different, like all emotions, but I think it definitely is a time where it's surprising. And for me, honestly, that's where the name of my book came from. As I looked back, I didn't regret what I did. I didn't regret investing as much of my time and energy in my dad and building the memories and having the opportunities of the joy that we experienced during that four and a half years that I spent with him. You know, I, I was able to look back and say, I don't, I don't regret any of those things that I did. And that was part of when, you know, for me, taking that experience and pivoting with my business was part of what helped me move forward. So I think it's important to find what you can take from that time. And, and for me, it was important for me to give to others. And that really helped to move me forward and out of that grief. And, you know, I, I wonder also if, if one is in that position for, you know, years, that that becomes part of your identity as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and your, your, you know, part of your identity is, is passing away right along with, with the relative. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, and that, I mean, again, I'm, I'm being amateur psychologist here, but that does <laughs> sound like that that would be, that would be jarring. Um, and I think that's part of why I think it's so important to teach people just like anything else, just like workaholism, all of those things can become extreme, even as a caregiver, if that is all that you have in your life, you're going to find yourself even more in a depth of depression and, and struggling with how to go forward. 
if you maintain a healthy life with caring, being integrated into part of it, then you're going to find yourself having a marriage to walk back into, having a relationship with your children and other friends. You know, those things are still there. If you neglect them for the entire time that you're in a caregiving season, you're going to find that they aren't there and you're going to be, you know, in a lot worse shape. We're talking to Raina Nysis and the topic is, should I become a caregiver? I want to switch gears a little bit to talk a little bit more directly about managing the, the professional side of, of one's life in this kind of scenario, the, the caregiver scenario. And, and one is, uh, one question I'd like to cover is, you know, if, if, you have a, if you have an employer, how do you approach that conversation with an employer about being a caregiver and I guess giving them a heads up that this is, this is going on and, and you just want to make your employer aware of it. How do you approach that? And what do you hope to, what, what, what do you hope to achieve with your employer by having that conversation? So in my employee employer situations, I think I've been, you know, as a teacher and then also working in other industries that, you know, just having that personal relationship with my boss. So I just, you know, made sure that I made an appointment, went in and just said, this is where we're at. You know, my mom is progressing in her disease. We're looking at, um, we've reached a point where we think we're going to lose her. I just want you to be aware that um, we're probably talking within weeks that she's going to pass away and, you know, remind me again, the policy of how long I can be gone and those kinds of questions. If you're not at the end, then I think just letting them know that this is something that's going on in my personal life and that, um, you know, I have the support that I need to be able to continue to do what, what I need to do here at work. But I do want you to know there might be emergencies that come up here or there and that I'll do the best I can to juggle as I need to. But I think knowing that you have family leave time or a leave time to be able to take those loved ones to the doctor's appointments or do those things that you need to do. It's important to be communicating that those are going to be needed at the same time. I think as an employee, it's really important to honor, you know, your responsibilities and make sure that you have the support that you need to be able to continue to do the best you can at your work. And also to deal with your emotional needs, you know, just because you're in this season doesn't mean it's okay to not be healthy. So if you need to get the support of a counselor or other people in that way too, I think that's important because your job, you know, they need you to do, to perform the best that you can at that point. So on the other side of the coin, you know, as how can employers be supportive of caregivers so that assuming this is desired, but so that they can remain employed by the company and still deliver the value or at least most of the value that they had been delivering. I think at this time with COVID, we've learned that working from home actually can have a good productivity. And so being flexible and open to options that are available for your employee, I think is an is a important piece of that. Realizing that emergencies are going to creep up and just like you have a new mom who has a tendency to have a sick child and, and need to be at home more than a person who's in this season of their life is probably going to find themselves needing to go to doctor's appointments, needing to take off at last minute a little bit more than they probably did before they took on this role. So I think there's just an understanding of 
them being willing, they are trying to do the best that they can and not feeling like they're using that as an excuse, but rather being supportive in that, helping to problem solve, you know, being flexible with their schedule as far as allowing them to come in and make up hours or stay late on another day if they need to leave for a doctor's appointment, those types of things. I think just even as a boss asking the question, how's mom doing, can really help that employee feel appreciated, understood, um, and, you know, just build that loyalty even more. Raina, this has been a great conversation. We could go so much more in depth, but but probably the best thing to do is to um, refer people to your book. Um, they certainly can learn a lot of lessons from that, I'm sure. Um, but aside from that, if, if people have questions we haven't addressed or if there's something they'd like to go into more depth than we were able to today, um, can they reach out to you? And if so, what's the best way to contact you for more information? Definitely. So my website is aseasonofcaring.com. And there's contact form on there. You can make a time to schedule a time to talk. I would be more than happy to answer any questions to try to support people in any way that I can. You can also find out more about the book at noregrets-book.com. And there are some pre-order offers available here for the next month or so. And then um, you can just find it all major retailers after June 1st. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Raina Nice so much for joining us and sharing her expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. If you'd like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Bradyware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.